I can still remember the time that we took my little brother to play miniature golf, or as we called it in Virginia, putt-putt. We, I, we, I can remember the time that we took him to play for the very first time. He was only five years old, and we were still all picking out our clubs and the color ball that we were going to use um, as we played together as a family for the big family activity of the week. We were going putt-putting. And I remember that as we were still getting organized, my, my little brother, I think he was a kindergartner or just before his kindergarten year, he walked up to hole number one, and you remember how hole number one works. It's just a straight shot. And he puts his ball down. He has those little plastic clubs that they give to you. He hits it once, and it goes straight into the hole. And I was like, you big jerk. He got the athletic genes in the family. We all know the goal, but sometimes it doesn't go as planned, right? Maybe you are a golfer. You know what you want to do, and you know what you don't want to do. And sometimes you end up doing the very thing that you don't want to do. The Christian life is like that, isn't it? Would you please locate Romans chapter 7 in your copy of the Scriptures? If you're using the pew copy, it's page 795. Romans is an epistle that was written by the Apostle Paul to the Christians who were in Rome. There were Jews and there were Gentiles that were in the church at Rome. And Paul was writing to them and he was describing the undeserved, the unmatched, and the unstoppable gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're working our way through the book of Romans and we're in the third division of Romans where we're talking about the assurance of the gospel. So Romans is, is, is just a great just a great work, a theological work of the gospel and what it means and, and, and how it's to be a priority in our lives and how it's a priority in the world. And we understand a little bit more of the heart of the gospel in, in chapters 1 through 4. And then in chapters 5 through 8, Paul is unfolding how there is this great assurance that we find in the gospel. And in fact, chapter number 5, uh, it ends this way. Therefore, as by one offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. Verse 19 of chapter 5 says, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so that by the obedience of one many shall be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There are two potential faulty responses to the end of chapter 5. So chapters 6 and 7 address kind of both sides of that road or, or both ditches on, on either side of that road. Chapter 6 addresses one and chapter 7 addresses the other. Chapter 6 addresses this idea of being spiritually sloppy. Well, I've got grace. No worries then. I can just live my life however I want to live my life. Chapter 7 addresses the other false response that I need to keep the law, that I've got to do everything just right in order to be right with God. Both of those are faulty and leave you with no assurance of your standing with God. So chapter 7 asks, do I need to keep the law in order to be right with God? And we've already worked through a good portion of chapter 7. and We've learned that the law is, 
is for the living. And just like death ends the law of a marriage, our death ends our obligation to the law to be right with God. Our death comes via our union with Christ. We're united to, to Christ in his death and his resurrection. And the whole purpose was that we would bear fruit for God. The last time we were in Romans chapter 7, we, we understood that, the, that we, we came to learn that the law reveals to us. It, it points uh, to our sin. It, it provokes us even at times. And even as Chuck reminded us this morning through his prayer, that the law is holy, the law is good, the law is righteous. So this morning and then a little bit next Sunday morning, we're going to finish off chapter, our study in, in Romans chapter 7 as we consider how the struggle really is challenging for us as followers of Christ. Would you please follow along now in Romans chapter 7. I'm going to begin in verse number 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that is good. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is, in my flesh, dwells no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inner inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body, from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I serve the law of God, but with the flesh, I serve the law of sin. Believer, even though this passage presents quite the back and forth struggle, it supplies us with gospel assurance, chiefly in the reality that it is normal if you are struggling in your walk with God. If you're not a Christian, if you're not a believer, this passage explains the power, the pull of sin for every human being. You should consider your sin this morning. And for all of us, just so that we are all clear, hear it clearly at the beginning, this passage is not a call to, to wave the white flag in defeat to give up on our fight with sin or to cut or for us to, to cut us some slack with sin. Rather, this text is a call to acknowledge or our current state, our individual inability, and 
to acknowledge our conflicting desires. So here's the point of this passage. Christian, you are not weird because you sin. You are normal because you sin. But don't give in. Instead, give thanks. Why? Because the war between your mind, your heart and your mind that desires good, and your body that practices sin, that war is actually a mark of Christian faith. Struggle between heart's desires and how we actually live is an age-old reality for God's children. The struggle is real. So let's take a look at how Paul explains this massive struggle that we each deal with. First of all, we see that the struggle is evident in my remaining flesh. And we see that in verses 14 through 17. Paul tells us that the law is spiritual. Then he says, but I am carnal. Or other translations say, but I am of the flesh. Now there are differing viewpoints on how to interpret this passage. In other words, how are we to understand this idea of being carnal or of the flesh? Is this personal testimony from the Apostle Paul? Is this pre-conversion or after-conversion for the Apostle Paul? How are we to understand this? Now, you can read hundreds, thousands of pages of answers to some of those questions. I want to list to you three possible positions that, that, that some believe, how some believe Paul is, is talking here. First, some believe that he's, he's talking about a non-Christian Pharisees who are under the law. Some believe that he's talking about a carnal Christian. And then some believe that he's talking about a normal Christian. This is the, the, the view that Augustine and Luther and many others have taken throughout history. This is the view that I take. I believe that this third option is the best. Here's why. Verses 1 through 12, we've already studied. Paul uses the past tense. I believe referring to his pre-conversion days. But now he kind of shifts gears. And he's talking about, he's talking in, with present tense verbs. I believe this passage is the Apostle Paul giving to us an honest take, an honest look at his own walk with God. This passage is the great Apostle Paul being transparent with the church by explaining that for him, the struggle is real. It's a personal testimony of the battle that rages in the life of God's children. He says that the law is spiritual. So, so when we evaluate our lives through the, through the lens or the standard of God's law, all of us quickly understand that there is no doubt about it. I've got remaining sin in my life. That is why the struggle is so challenging. I've got remaining sin that is evidence through my flesh. Verse 15 in the ESV, it says, For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Paul was perplexed. He didn't even understand his own actions. I don't know why I do the things that I do. Have you ever walked? Now, teenagers, no snickering, please. Have you ever walked, the rest of you, have you ever walked in, through your house? You, maybe you went downstairs and you went into a room and you're like, 
Yeah, some of you not teenagers are already snickering. Why am I here again? I've started doing that. We're perplexed. Paul says, I don't even understand my own actions. Every Christian can relate to that, right? Maybe we've had a spiritual high, if I can refer it to that way. A teenager attended summer camp, and they come back enthused, thankful for what they learned about God. And they're, they're feeling good about their walk with God, and just really have a, a genuine, sincere desire to walk with God. Or maybe, as an adult, you've been to a conference, or you took a class and you, that really grew you, a, a season of spiritual revival. And we come out of those experiences, we come out encouraged, and we come out determined, and we come out, yes, I'm going to live for God. I'm going to do what's right. I'm not going to be perfect, but I'm going to live for God. We want to live a life for God. We want to live a life of obedience, a godly life. But we don't all the time, do we? Because we're still of the flesh. We're not in the flesh, but we're of the flesh. We are still humans. The flesh is still of us. We have remaining sin. And, and Paul says uh, of, of the inward man. So he's saying internally, we still have, we, we have a new heart. We've been born again. Praise God. We sang about that this morning. We've been cleansed of sin. We understand that. We believe that. We hold to that. That's what's going on internally. But externally, we still have the stain of sin in our actions and our attitudes. We read of it from Philippians, as Mike read this morning. Paul was not, ref was not thinking of himself as having attained. He wasn't thinking of, him of himself as having arrived. He had not yet been glorified. Friends, there are no shortcuts to becoming a mature Christian in this life. There are no shortcuts, okay, if I just do X, Y, Z, boom, I'm going to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and never sin anymore. One day, we will be instantaneously glorified, and aren't we looking forward to that? But until then, there is a slow process of being set apart by God to be conformed to the image of God. It's important that we remember that we are in a marathon, not a sprint. You aren't going to stop your besetting sin overnight. You may fight the same sin of, of coveting for years. You may battle having a, a critical spirit for decades. You may see some periods of victory in your life, but you may fail miserably years later. I read a, about a, a, a Christian leader in our world who has since gone to, to glory, and if I said his name, you would know it. And for years, he struggled with a sin that God had convicted him about, of, of smoking cigarettes. And he came to faith in Christ as a college student. It was 25 years later. Seminary professor, pastor of a thriving church. 25 years later, until he had gone 24 hours without smoking a cigarette. Convicted by God, working on it. It was another 10 years until he got, had gone a full month without smoking a cigarette. And then another 10 years after that, until he had complete victory over this struggle with his flesh. 45 years of gospel ministry struggling with the same besetting sin. That's what Paul is shooting at here. The struggle is evident because we still reside in the flesh. 
But just because there is a struggle doesn't mean there is no hope for us. Because the question is settled even though the conflict continues. That is assurance for every Christian. We have been bought with a price. We have been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are children of God. So the question is settled, but the conflict continues. We remain in a battle. The war rages on, even though the question is settled. Sin still has power in the life of a Christian. So don't mess with it. Run hard from sin. Be reminded that it is a lifelong run. Paul found himself doing things that he did not approve of. Paul found himself doing things that he simply did not approve of. Do you? Brothers and sisters, when you kick the pumpkin outside the front door in anger because your kids have just sassed you, when you bark at your husband or your wife because they failed to, in some way, to meet your expectations, when you view pornography, when you use God's name in vain, or when you choose to hate someone else, you are just like the Apostle Paul. You are doing something that you do not approve of. The struggle is evidence in our remaining flesh. Christian, you are not weird because you sin. You are normal because you sin. But don't give in. Instead, give thanks. Why? Because the war between your mind and heart that desires good and your body that practices sin, that war is actually a mark of Christian faith. The struggle is evidence in my remaining flesh. Notice, secondly, that Paul teaches us the struggle is evidence in my clear inability. Clear inability. Have you ever been given a, a job that is literally impossible to accomplish? We joke about being able to find a, a needle in a haystack. I don't know where that originated from, but we joke about being able to find a needle in a haystack. And I, as a young person, I thought, well... I mean, given enough time, you probably could actually find a needle, right? Listen to what Paul says that he is unable to do. Look at verse number 18 again. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. For to will is present with me. So I, I have the desire to do what is right, but how to, to perform that which is good, I find not. I don't have the ability to do what I want to do. For the good that I, verse 19, for the good that I would want, the, the good that I desire, I do not do, but the evil which I don't desire, what, the evil which I would not, that I do. For if I do that I would not, it is no more that I do it, but sin that dwells in me. Paul uses this word uh, in verse number 18. He says to perform. In other translations, he say, it says he doesn't have the ability to carry it out. I have a desire to do what is right, but I don't have the, I don't have the ability to carry it out. That's mind-blowing. Paul? The apostle Paul? He didn't even have the ability to live as he should? 
So, so we see here that it's not only that he found himself doing what he, he didn't want to do, he also was acknowledging, he was also lamenting that he didn't even have the ability to carry out his good desires. Nothing good was found in his flesh. Now remember from, from earlier in chapter 7, we learned that the flesh is what furnishes a, a kind of a center of operations for sin in the believer's life. This is a, a, a beachhead of, 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 where our, of where we practice sin. So Paul's not claiming that he could do nothing good. Everyone can do something good, right? You don't have to be, a, to be a Christian to do something good. So Paul's claim wasn't that he could do nothing good. Rather, Paul was claiming that he was absolutely incapable. He was absolutely unable to fully, completely fulfill God's law. Sure, he could keep this law, and he could follow this commandment, and he could practice life, his Christian walk in this way. But he couldn't keep all of the law all of the time. So Paul was openly acknowledging that even though he has a desire to do what is right, he doesn't have the ability to carry out that desire. He, has, he, can't have, he doesn't have the ability to perform to that standard. Now we're tracking with him, right? Christian, you and I were not better than the Apostle Paul. We wouldn't claim that. The reality is that you're going to fail. The reality is that you are going to sin. You are going to fall short. You don't have the ability to completely fulfill God's law. So it's not only that you find yourself doing what you don't approve of, it's also that you don't even have the ability to do what you fully want to do. You can do good. You can do some good things. But you can't do everything good all of the time. Friend, all of humanity falls into that category. If you've gathered with us this morning, if you're watching online, live, or in the future, we need to understand that all of us have fallen short, that we have not been able to fully fulfill the demands of the law. If you're watching or if you've gathered and you've never placed your faith in Jesus because you've never understood that you have fallen short, I invite you to do that. Because you have fallen short, because you haven't been able to fully uh, fulfill the law of God, you need someone who can do that in your place. That's what trusting Jesus is all about. You're trusting that Jesus did that as your substitute. It's a vicarious atonement of Jesus Christ. I invite you to believe in the one, the only one, who fu completely fulfilled God's law. Christian, for us, as we grow in our Christ-likeness, as God sanctifies us and continues to set us apart, as we grow in our Christ-likeness, our hatred for sin will also grow. And as that happens, our sensitivity toward sin increases. Have you noticed that? As you grow older as a, as a, as a saint, as you, as you continue to grow as a Christian, your sensitivity, you become more aware of sin and you hate it all the more, and you're convicted quickly. So we want to do right, but we don't, and that's why our sin is all the more glaring. Beloved of Harvest Bible Church, are you discouraged because of your sin? That's normal for Christians. You don't have the ability to keep God's law through and through. I want to, to encourage us and to warn us. Be careful about falling into the trap of comparing your spiritual progress with another Christian's spiritual progress. That can be dangerous. That can be discouraging for you. 
You may see your brother or sister in Christ enjoy great victory with sins of the tongue, for instance. But you become discouraged because you continue to take God's name in vain. And you preach to yourself, well, so-and-so doesn't do that. Or maybe you have, 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 have enjoyed some great success in being consistent in setting aside time to read God's word. And then you find out church member John Doe doesn't faithfully read God's word. And you ask yourself, what is his problem? Why, don't, why doesn't he just get his act together? It's easy for us to pick and choose what makes someone else spiritual versus ourselves. But the reality is all of us are clearly unable to fulfill the requirements of God's law. Christian, you are not weird because you sin. You are normal because you sin. But don't give in to sin. Instead, give thanks. Why? Because the war between your mind and heart that desires good because you've been born again and your body that practices sin, that war is actually a mark that you are God's child, a mark of Christian faith. So the struggle is evidence in my remaining flesh. The struggle is evidence in my clear inability. Thirdly, we see that the struggle is evidence in dual desires. Here is where we kind of get to the core of the struggle. We've acknowledged that we remain in the flesh. We, of the flesh, we acknowledge our own inability to fulfill God's law. Now we come to the reality of inner versus outer. Look at verse 21. I find then a law that when I want to do good, evil is present with me. It's close at hand. And then Paul says, for I delight in the law of God in my inner being, or after the inward man, but I see another law. So verse 22, I delight in the law of God. Verse 23, but I see another law in, in my members or in my body, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. Here's where that back and forth really comes to the surface. You've experienced this in other spheres of your life, haven't you? I have. We can all understand this back and forth. Maybe you've been on a diet before and you have the, the internal desire, right? You have the internal desire of, of, of not eating too many Oreos, an internal desire for the scales to give you good news, an internal desire to add your, to your diet solid exercise routine. But then after dinner, you're cleaning up and you open the cupboard to put away some, some dishes and you see the Oreos. Oh, and when you wake up each morning and you see the treadmill, the Oreos look really good and the treadmill looks really bad. And the conflict of internal and external, it comes to the surface. And you have the desire to do what is right, but not always the ability to carry it out. Here is where we feel like there are multiple persons, multiple personalities of one person. Here is where I say to myself, there are two John Walters. Will the real John Walters please stand up? It's a struggle. It's a real day-to-day -day where the rubber meets the road Christianity fight. And Paul refers to what's going on in our mind, and he refers to what's taking place through our body in his, in his members. And the apostle is comparing the internal Paul to the external Paul, and he's explaining that the struggle is about internal desires of the heart doing battle with external desires of the body. And you can, you can see how the battle is, is growing. Teenager, you want to honor your parents in word and speech, 
That's the desire of your mind and heart. You can say before God. That's what you prayed about in your devotional time. But then you grow frustrated with their decision. And your body, mainly your, your mouth, your voice, does not do the good that you want it to do. You see in your body another law waging war against the law of your mind. Christian, you want to live a sexually pure life. You want to avoid pornographic intake. You want to be uh, intimate with, within the confines of marriage as, as God has instructed. But then you see something on Instagram or you take a business trip that lacks accountability. And although you have desires for holiness, I've been born again, I have desires for holiness in my, in my heart and mind, you find that another law is waging war and making you captive to the law of sin that is in your members, in your body. In other words, your mind and your body are at war. Christian, the struggle between your desires for good and your practice of evil is strong. We find ourselves wanting to do right but choosing to do wrong. And that battle is on repeat mode over and over, day after day, sometimes hour after hour on this journey. The remaining flesh, the stain of sin, does battle with any good desires that we have. So, sin is going to battle all of your good thoughts, all of your good motives, all of your good deeds. Sin is ready to pounce. That's how the Lord described it to Cain in Genesis chapter 4. It says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desires to, is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Nobody ever gets to the point in their Christian life that they no longer sin, that they no longer see their sin. We aren't over our sin. We haven't arrived. So if you're telling, if you're feeling like, ah, I'm doing pretty well in this Christian life. I don't think I've sinned that much this week. Brothers, sisters, you are deceived. As we mature in the Lord, as we grow spiritually, our, our sin is all the more glaring. The normal reality of the Christian journey, the normal Truth, principle of our Christian journey is summed up by Tim Keller very well when he says, the more holy we become, the less holy we will feel. As we draw closer to God, as we are, are, drawing, are attempting to live a godly and holy life, we become more aware of our sin. Don't we see that in Psalm number 1 where the contrast is between the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly and, and those who, who, and the ungodly at the end of the psalm. Paul says that the battle with sin, there's going to be occasional relapses into sin. It's going to be normal for you as a Christian. There is a, is a battle of masters. We have a new heart. We have a new master where we, we are redeemed by God. But our inner, and our inner self is redeemed. But the outer self is, is where we're, how we are living it out. Paul refers to it as a, as a law in his members. In other words, sin was, was in his members. It's the old self. Only at death or when Jesus returns will Christians be able to stop living of the flesh. Until then, we must avoid walking according to the flesh. That's our goal. How about a sweet devotional time that you have in the morning as you read the Word and spend time in prayer? You delight as Paul has testified, you delight in the law of God, in your inner being. You love it. You soak it in. You're absorbing it. 
But your experience later that morning or later in the day is different. It's a different master ruling over your outer being. And you, you look back with hindsight and you exclaim, what in the world has happened? I was in the Word. I was delighting in the law of God internally. But my externals are, is another master raging war in my members. Christian, you are not weird because you sin. You're normal because you sin. But don't give in to sin. Instead, give thanks. Why? Because the war, the war between your mind and your heart that has desires for good and your body that practices sin, that war is actually a mark of Christian faith. 1 Peter 4 says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though something unusual or strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. It's not weird. It's not strange that we are doing this battle. If the Apostle Paul's remaining flesh was evidence of a real battle, if the Apostle Paul was incapable of fulfilling God's law, if he wasn't doing the very things that he wanted to do, if the great Apostle Paul was struggling, then you better believe little old John Walters is struggling. We better believe that we are still in a battle. And it will help us to remember that this passage is in the greater section of Romans that addresses a Christian enjoying gospel assurance. Well, how does this kind of passage connect to gospel assurance? Precisely because there is a struggle. Unbelievers don't struggle in the same way that we do. Sure, they may feel guilt along the lines of moral failures, but they are not regularly facing the back and forth wanting to do what is right, but not having the ability to carry it out and have a war between their hearts, and their body. So this is not a text that says, well, you're going to sin anyway. You might as well enjoy it. By no means. Rather, it's explaining that your inner desires to do what is right is at war with, with, the, with another master which desires for you to do wrong. And having that conflict is actually evidence that you are a child of God. Because there is a conflict, there is assurance. Christian, the hope is found in the struggle. And hope is found in the reminder that ultimately the battle is won. And we see that. And we'll come to that in verses 24 and 25 next week. Paul concludes the chapter with the hope, the reminding us of what we have in our Lord Jesus Christ. Think of Christ's own struggle. He was greatly tempted in the wilderness. We read of in, in, in the fourth chapter of Matthew. He was tempted by Satan himself with great struggle. He struggled in the garden on the eve of his crucifixion. But Christ's struggle was different than ours. It was different because it was, it was more intense. It was different because he continued to face temptation minute after minute. He continued and it continued to increase. The temptation continued to, continued to increase because he never gave in. He was tempted harder and more aggressively than any of us have ever been tempted. He was tempted, as the Bible says, in all points, just like as we are, yet he never sinned. And that is why we run to Christ, because he is the solution to our struggle. Christian, this week, remember that because of Christ, there is mercy still available to you when you fall. We're going to sin. That's not reason for us to say, okay, I'll just give in. I'm going to sin. No, we're going to sin. 
And we're going to sin against our will. We, we want to do what is right. We have, the, we, we, we have the desire for what is right. But we don't always have the ability to carry it out. There's a war that's raging within us. So when we fail, we're called to remember that there is still mercy available for us. When you fall and you fail again, remember the depth of God's mercy. When you do not do the good that you want, but you do the very evil that you do not want, remember that there's mercy still reserved for you, and it's found in Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.